just counting down for, for my own pleasure. That's is. Can we have a counting down episode? Yes, add that to the list of one-off ideas. Yeah. <laughs> Welcome to layer by layer, five thousand. The but the the, you know some people say that they listen to podcasts to go to sleep and this this would be the episode (laughs) that would help yeah yep (laughs) also um i i liked what you did with the beginning of the last podcast i was not expecting that oh thanks i didn't know you listened to our podcast (laughs) i actually lauren was the one who brought it to my attention I definitely would not have known otherwise. <laughs> <laughs> and I I was actually pleased with how well the uh, pepperoni pizza worked out. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> nice. It's, it's like, oh, that, that was great. That, that fit in in the way yeah. it didn't fit in at all. <laughs> <laughs> Just like the pepperoni pizza and the slices at Chuck E. Cheese. Um, do you know what I'm talking about with that? No. It's okay. It's better that way. Oh, okay. Um, Sophie and I made pizza today. Nice. Made pizza? Yeah. Like you rolled the dough and tossed it in the air kind of made pizza? Yeah, except apparently you don't really do that. The the tossing thing. Oh, that's that's just a cartoon thing, I've been told. Uh, people do it. So you wouldn't know because on the West Coast, good pizza doesn't exist. Fair. <laughs> you just get this like stupid thin crust cracker pizza everywhere uh-huh. you go. The only good pizza that I have had on the West Coast is when they advertise that it's like New York pizza right. or Chicago yeah. pizza or anything but any kind of pizza from here. <laughs> um, like that's the only way I am going to spend a decent amount of money on pizza here is if the pizza is like advertising that it's based on something far away from the west half of the country like i love food out here but pizza is just awful awful out here i don't think they toss the dough though even in other places they they, um, they do i mean they out they they do it for style points i've been told that it was just like a thing that some guy did but he actually made bad pizza but like they they liked the spectacle of it (laughs) see i've def i've definitely heard like on cooking shows or things before that it's, it is a technique used to like spread the dough thin like if like for new york pizza especially which is you know just very thin floppy crust kind of pizza i feel like at least today they'd have a better me- method than that like put it in a centrifuge or something i mean i'm sure they do but <laughs> um the i mean i went to um a, a comp- when i went to a competition in alaska we went to a uh, restaurant they were definitely having people doing pizza dough tossing that you could see from, you know, where you were eating. It's like they toss, they just have certain doughs that they just toss the whole time. And then yeah, they you actually know, serve other pizzas. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I guess we better, it's, uh, it's, uh, we're on a, the every 15 minute schedule. We got to go uh, toss <laughs> the dough for a little while. Yeah. <laughs> All right, back to real cooking. <laughs> Welcome to Layer by Layer, a show where everything's made up and the points don't matter. Um, are we are we doing the same thing where we're gonna sh- steal the intros of other things again? <laughs> I, it just feels so natural. <laughs> when did I, I don't think I've even ever gotten points on this show. Uh, I ring a bell sometimes. That that's kind of like points. Two 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 two. Darn. Uh huh. <laughs> 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 Two.
Uh huh. Is a number. That's correct. End of sentence. Okay, good job. You, you did it. <laughs> Next week we'll move on to first grade level. <laughs> so yeah, I, I, when you say okay, it makes me think like, hmm, he's triggered the conditions for the bell. He just needs to end the sentence. <laughs> um, well, you have at least figured out that the bell gets triggered at the end of a sentence. That, make that is progress. Correct. Yes. <laughs> Uh, if you want to give us feedback on how we start every episode the same way, you can do so <laughs> on layer by layer slash r slash com dot reddit slash slash colon https. That's um, one. Okay. Yep. <laughs> That's it. Perfect. That's how it works. Um, today is Monday, June 3rd, as we are recording this. Hopefully I'll edit it and get it out relatively close to that. Are we um, typing URLs in like Arabic now? Oh, do wait. Do they write right to left in Arabic? Mm-hmm. I mean, I still said the words in the correct order. Yeah, you... <laughs> <laughs> that's true. Yeah, that's what we're doing now. I wanted to give a big welcome to our Arabic listeners because uh, they're the only ones who are able to navigate here successfully. Man, we're gonna we're gonna have some interesting uh, comments on this episode. Um, <laughs> The uh, logo for our show was made by Sarah Cook, who makes awesome stuff, and you should check her out. Speaking of checkouts, how about we check in? Uh, I don't even know why we still have a check-in section in our show notes, actually, because we don't really use it anymore. Uh, But today, we do have a thing, which is last week slash three weeks ago, we (laughs) asked you for advice questions to us. We wanted you to ask us for advice. Uh, and we were going to give you that advice. Not today. Uh, because nobody has asked us an actual advice question yet, as far as I can tell. There might have been one email that was, like, halfway decent that we got. Yeah. Um, but I I think we clearly said, like, it, this is not how do I do this PLL kind of questions. It's yeah. like we're... It's like we're looking... I'm currently stuck in my room there are spiders all over the ground i can't get out of bed help that kind of thing you know that's our specialty right and it it can be cubing related but we want it to end up being you know entertaining and not informative i mean if you came to this podcast because you thought it was informative i would like to show you the door um (laughs) because i mean we do talk about things that are could be misconstrued as informative Oh, yeah. I hope no one's taking advice from us. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, uh, I mean, and, you know, we do update people on records, I suppose. But, like, if you really wanted to be informed, um, you have many ways to find out about records that aren't, like, a month after they happen. Yeah. So, <laughs> um, I sure hope that this is where, not where you're coming to be informed, but to be entertained. Um, yes. And, and, and to clarify, because I've made this mistake in the past, we want real questions but they should also be things we can have interesting ideas about. <laughs> yeah, if if you ask a question and we can be done with the question in one minute or less, it is a very bad question. Yeah. I mean, I, I would say it's a very bad question. It's a very bad question for our purposes. Right, yeah, we it want could stuff be a great to make a episode out of. Exactly. Um, so, we'd like to refocus your efforts on how to ask advice questions. These do not have to be cubing-related at all. 
They could be. It could be like I'm at a cube competition and in a bed somehow at a cubing competition and there are spiders everywhere and I can't get out. Like, sure. I don't know. That sounds great. I mean, that sounds awful, but that sounds like a great question. How have I not rung this bell yet? Is this a new record? <laughs> uh, it could be. I, I think you might soon. Don't worry. <laughs> um, the P value is five. For what? Darn. Thought it might have been stat related. <laughs> <laughs> also, a p value of five would be hilariously wrong. Um, Wait, yeah, it doesn't have to be between zero and one. He sure does. <laughs> uh, anyways, um, any that's so yeah. Send us good advice. And no, no, no. Send us advice questions. We'll give you good advice. Or I mean, I kind of just want advice too. So. <laughs> Um, but advice questions would also be welcome, too. Welcome to, speaking of welcome to, welcome to follow-up. Um, we also have at the top of follow-up, email your advice. Okay, we already did that. Uh, world records. <laughs> A lot of interesting world records, huh? Sure were. Especially in the realm of blindfolded solving. Yeah. Um, so we have Jake Klassen with a 19.79 first sub-20 mean of three. He fakes his solves. Yes, as we he know. He fakes his solves. <laughs> um, They're fake. Yes. <laughs> I wonder what percent of our listeners are also in CF. So for those who aren't aware, um, there was a post a long time ago where a prominent blinder called out Jake for faking his solves because of... Uh, he, he had some very spotty videos of him doing three blind on YouTube and it could be construed as suspicious, but, um, I mean, who knows? That was years ago. Who, maybe he was faking. I don't know. And he just decided to use that as motivation to really practice hard. Like who, yeah, who, who cares at this point? Um, but yeah, that was maybe a little bit surprising to me. I don't know. It's, I mean, I guess... <laughs> At I feel like point, Jake, Jake has been at the top of three blind for a while. Yeah, I guess. Um, I guess to me, it was more that uh, I, I I see Max Hilliard so often, and I know like he is he like literally is like inches away from with, several times from being sub twenty. Yeah. Uh, with his average, officially, um, and I don't know. I guess I always just get surprised when it's somebody who is not Max Hilliard and maybe Jack <laughs> Kai, even though I know there's so many people who were, you know, at that level in three blind. And I was not at all surprised to see Jake Klassen get it because he's posted like averages of like 25 that are sub 20. Yeah. Like non DNF averages of 25. <laughs> so good thing he got it in before. Uh... <laughs> yeah. I mean, you, know. you didn't have to wait long for Max Hilliard. <laughs> no. <laughs> Um, and uh, the fun, I mean, so I guess we're going to jump to the fact that Max Hilliard now owns that world sure, record. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and it could have been a lot lower. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think Max was basically one comma away at like 13 mm -hmm. and change. Uh-huh. Yeah. It was like a really easy scramble for blind. Hello? <laughs> I'm, t I'm sorry. I'm recollecting what I just said. <laughs> Um, 13 and change. Okay, so if I know it's at the end of the sentence, I need to, like, go back through all these episodes and just figure out <laughs> all these sentences. Or I just need to get the listeners to do this for me. 
Yeah, I mean... Just go back and let's collect all of the sentences I said before the <laughs> yeah. bell. Um, but yeah, he. so the first solve, <laughs> as you said, he was almost done. It, it, like, it could have been like a 15, probably, right? Probably, yeah. Which yeah, it could. would be world record, right? It's like 16-something yeah. now? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, it would have been easy world record single. Yeah, uh, but it wasn't. What did he do? He he said he did two extra comms, right? I assume that means he just did one forward and then backward, like to undo mm-hmm. it or something. Um, I think I don't. I didn't really watch it intently, but it looked like it could have been that where he did the comm the wrong way and then like had to do it had again, to do or, it again. Yeah. or undid it or something. I don't know. It definitely looked looked painful. <laughs> um, <laughs> but as he said, maybe that was what allowed him to get the world record mean because he wasn't as nervous for the rest of it. That's true. Because it did come first in the in the average, and man, if you start if you start an average with a fifteen, like, yeah, what? <laughs> and I know to Max too, he cares a lot more about the uh, average world record than he does the the single. For, at least from what I can tell, at least from what I remember talking with him about blind stuff, he definitely is has, has for years been trying to go for averages and not necessarily singles. Not that he goes safe or anything, but... He's very consistent, isn't he? Like, yes. Relatively speaking, very consistent, at least getting successes. Yeah, and I mean, it's and it's not like he goes safe. He's going at full speed, but is just very well practiced for, you know, <laughs> avoiding DNFs at his top speed. Yeah. Um. So let's stay in the realm of blind for a bit and yeah. talk about Siggins' uh, 50 out of 52 multi-blind world record. His name is Siggins because... He's my letter pair for SG in blind. Um, <laughs> so I will not call him anything else. Oh, you know what I do? I It's saggy for me. Like, oh, I just no. imagine, like, whatever <laughs> comes next being, like, just really droopy and saggy. <laughs> yeah. That works, too. Um, <laughs> Anyways. <laughs> I, I wasn't, I guess I wasn't really keeping up with how good Sagan's has got at multi-blind. Um, cause he, he also attempted a 60 cube attempt to that them. competition, two of them. Yeah. And yeah, this, this was after two 60 cube attempts on the same day. Yeah. And that's just wild. <laughs> yeah. That's a lot of cubes. That's a cube a minute. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I, on his, uh, YouTube channel, he's live streamed a 59 out of 60 attempt Ooh. earlier that week. Um, wow. which, uh, was world best because he already had a 59 out of 60 mm-hmm. that was not streamed um, okay but it beat the old one on time and it was his first attempt in months huh that he just was like yep just gonna start up doing some uh, multi and set, <laughs> casually set a, a wb yeah well now he has a wb and a wr that's right uh uh, it's it's um so he beat the old record on time right because the other was 48 out of 48 it was yes so he he beat it by a couple minutes i'm pretty sure cool or maybe even three i don't remember That's the impressive. exact time but um he uh also his two his two dnfs were very early on in the attempt mm. so a lot of people in the live stream were just like oh whatever you know he's got to go all the way now and lo and behold he did yeah <laughs> so it was I, I i didn't watch it live i was busy at the time i watched his first attempt live 
the third one from what I was like replaying the live stream, people were getting like progressively more hyped and hopeful. It was kind of funny <laughs> to watch. This was just kind of like, yeah, he's gonna have to get you know sixteen cubes all correct down the road down the way which isn't like totally impossible but you know it's pretty hard and you know every successful cube just slightly upped the hope meter just a little bit uh <laughs> until like five cubes away the hope meter became the hype meter uh <laughs> so yeah i wish i was uh, uh, watching would, that one live it would be so awful to like dnf the last cube oh god oh <laughs> uh, it's like the thing about multi-blind is, like, I think it's um, the event that corresponds most to, like, speedrunning in terms of, like, its watchability. Oh, like, like in speedrunning, like, you can do, like, a, like, especially a long game, like, you can do, like, a really good run and then just mess it up at the end or something. Yeah. Well, and I personally like watching a lot of Pokemon speedruns, and it's just mm. a lot of RNG. Uh, yeah. as, as fun as they are to watch for me, like I can tell it's not the most fun game to speedrun because you're so RNG dependent at times. Um, but um, what is uh, interesting is that um, it's just kind of like, you know, you get in when there's RNG, you know, there's just like physical setbacks that just automatically lower the ceiling of the run, you know? Mm-hmm. And it's same with DNFing a cube, I feel, and in multi like it's like in terms of a, the equivalent speed run it's like graham's world record is almost like the equivalent of somebody like dying in the first gym of a pokemon speed run but like continuing the run anyways and getting perfect rng the rest of the way yeah but in blind you don't know what happens <laughs> right yeah <laughs> like it, that's the funny thing too is that with multi it's like it's not truly like that because the runner doesn't have to experience like those ups and downs mm-hmm I mean, maybe they do to some extent because they can probably tell sometimes when, like, things are surely a DNF. Like, oh, I definitely screwed that one up. Um, but outside of that, like, you really have no clue how it's going until you take your blindfold off. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> and, yeah, I don't know. It's uh, it's kind of funny just because the, the runner in multi-blind doesn't really have any clue what's going on. Uh, just a funny comparison because I've been watching Pokemon speedruns recently. <laughs> Lastly here, we have the Square One world record at 4.95 by Jackie Zhang. Um, this is an update from last time. Last time it was like 4.99, right? And I think now so. Now it seems like, seems like that's another barrier that's broken all of a sudden. Yeah. I, I don't know. It's uh, I'm kind of sad that the casual world, world record is dead. Yeah. <laughs> maybe if... Uh, <laughs> Maybe if the, the, the timer stop weren't so casual on the last square one world record, this one wouldn't have been a world record. <laughs> um, you can only you can only wonder. Um, but uh, yeah, I don't know. I actually haven't seen the video for this one. I haven't either. Um, I was at a competition that weekend, so it, I tend to watch Thank things uh, when I am not at competitions. Mm-hmm. But... I tend to just not watch things. <laughs> I'm I'm bad at keeping up with cubing these days. Who let you on this show? I don't know. What did you just drop? Did you drop the key to the city? That's that's right. <laughs> <laughs> Where'd you get the key to the city? Um, you know, I I've done a few favors for our mayor. Oh, okay. We don't need to go into that. <laughs> um, <laughs> topics. Um. 
Hey, I, I didn't say anything. You, you, it's, it's all in your mind. So here's a topic I wanted to bring up last time, but I didn't want to talk about because we were talking about podcasts too much. Yeah, and like pretending to be podcasts too much. Wait, what? At the beginning of the show, we pretended oh, to be yeah. like five podcasts. I forgot we did that. Uh, <laughs> I like talked about it literally like 15 minutes ago. <laughs> yeah, I don't listen to you. Um, Clearly. So... <laughs> Um, Are we even doing a podcast anymore? Am I just like talking into a void with like some computer robot that like is like, what is this like smarter child or something? I don't know. That sounds creepy. What is that? Oh, dude. Were you, you, are you too young for like the aim days? Yes. Okay. It was this bot on aim that you would, you would message and it would it would not even like be able to carry on a conversation it would just always have like a predetermined response calculated (laughs) based on whatever you sent to the bot oh yeah and i guess there's sometimes a few different randomized things that could happen but like for the most part it was you know it couldn't carry on a conversation it was more like just talking to a wall that would say things um but it became like an art form to like create smarter child conversations that would be borderline hilarious <laughs> by getting like the right responses from him nice at the right times <laughs> anyways uh i'm old C- carry uh, so on there's this, there's this <laughs> thing going on in the podcast world where uh there's a few companies that are like kind of trying to take over how much do you know about how like podcasts work actually Kat? like i know we run one but yeah <laughs> <laughs> i i know a little bit i know that um podcasts are are seem to be this sort of weird wild west of media where basically every other media type is so heavily tracked and heavily monitored and heavily uh you know consolidated and metricized too yeah there's a metric for everything where you know podcasts there's very little metrics on yeah, any... Yeah, you got, like, downloads. Yeah, da- <laughs> how many downloads you have, which is, yeah. like, something the like, web servers automatically collect anyway. <laughs> so it's, like... And um, it, and there's starting to be more sort of things with networks from what I've seen, but, it, like, I, like, there's WNYC Studios, I know, which is a big one. Yeah, yeah there's a lot of... There have been podcast networks for a long time, but... But they haven't done the same things as a lot of other networks and other media have done. Right, right. There's still a lot of freedom even within podcast networks for the most part, except I have heard of the winds that be a change in. <laughs> yeah, so this is a thing that um, there's two, like they're trying to, there's a couple of companies kind of trying to take over podcasting and make it more like Netflix or YouTube right, or whatever. Which yep. would just be bad for everyone, uh, yep. because like it's pretty clear that podcasting works the way it is. Which is so right now it's it's an open system based on RSS, which is a simple web technology. There's really nothing more to it than that. If you can run an RSS feed, you can have a podcast. Yeah, um, exactly. So like that's why there there are so many different podcast apps which allow you to listen to them in different ways. Right. Because I mean, R- RSS feeds were initially created in the early internet days to like be a quick news feed. Yeah. Where you could just ha- get links to news articles online basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that that's what allows there to be so much diversity in podcast apps and stuff. And you can have what you want um, and you can make a tailored experience. However you want it to be, you can upload whatever you want. You can, it's just, 
it's it's made to be open and accessible to everyone. There are a couple companies trying to sort of take over. I don't know too much about it, uh, but I just want to like let people know in case they happen to be listening through one of these services. I'm not trying to like tell you not to do that, but I just want you to be aware of sort of what is happening. So specifically, there's Spotify and Luminary. Um, mm-hmm. Spotify a little bit ago, they bought Gimlet Media, which is a podcast studio. Yeah. Um, and something else. I don't remember what the other thing was. Um, but they have a lot of market share right now. Not nearly enough to actually do too much damage. Um, but it's pretty clear that they are. They really want to do podcasting because, you know, they, like they do music streaming. Mm-hmm. And for them, it costs them a lot of money whenever you stream music through their service because they have to like pay licensing fees and stuff. But podcasts are free. So if you're streaming podcasts, through Spotify, that is time you are not spending listening to music, so they like that. So that's why they want to get more into podcasts uh, and kind of take over. That's why they're just shifting their business strategy towards podcasts and trying to make it a lot more exclusive things. And like, in order to be in the Spotify, in order to play your podcast in Spotify, there are fears that they might like, like they, I think they take your RSS feed and they like download your episodes and re-upload them to their servers or something. It's kind of sketchy. So, yeah, that's not great. And then there's also Luminary, which is basically like a VC startup kind of specifically made to take over podcasting. Yeah. And they're just bad all around, in my opinion. <laughs> yeah, I've listened to a podcast about them. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, just wanted to throw those out there in case anyone listening wasn't aware of those things. Um, and there are tons of free podcast apps that are great. So mm-hmm. if you are listening to one of those... Not only am I would I recommend something else because those things are kind of not necessarily that great um, for the industry, but also just because there are better options. It's always like the argument of that, you know, when you centralize these sorts of things, it can help to gain a larger user base than you would have had before. Yeah, that that's the argument. But I don't I just don't think that holds up at all for podcasting. I, I tend to agree, too. Um, you know, it's not like videos or, you know, traditional content that, you know, is more mass appeal. Like, podcasts really do fit more of a niche. Yeah, and and it's also, like, they can be mass appeal because it's, like, it's an open standard and anyone can access it. So it's, it doesn't, you don't need that collector. There's already all these apps that are collecting because it's open. Yeah, it's, it, you don't need to consolidate it into one place. It's It's already there for anyone who wants to consolidate it. Right, and, like, YouTube solved the problem of, you know, just, you know, pre-YouTube video players just were awful. Yeah, and also, you can't really do an open system for video as well, or at least you couldn't back back then, because people didn't have those, that kind of server space at home and stuff. Right, and internet speeds just didn't make sense for that. Yeah, if you wanted to have your own RSS feed serving video, that just doesn't, that, like, barely even works now Mm -hmm. um, for most people, so... But with audio, it's a lot smaller files, basically, is is the difference. So that's why podcasting has sort of survived in that in that area. Right, yeah. The other argument I can see that, like, people would want this is that it's easier connection to advertisers. I mean, that also is, like, from everything I've heard, podcast ads are basically the most successful advertising. Like, they bring in the highest rates of pretty much any medium. Yep. So, yeah, I mean, maybe that would be true. It could even be higher, but... I don't know if there is evidence to suggest that that would yeah. necessarily be the case. I'm guessing it's that, um, 
Yeah, I, I just I do wonder what the big names in podcasting have to gain from this, other than just the like signing money deals they're probably getting for joining these. Yeah, that's a, a lot of people I've heard saying like they might sign on some big names to do a podcast for a certain amount of time. Mm-hmm. And then the hope is that those people will kind of realize, like, wait, I have an audience that cares about me, not this service. And then they'll, like, go to a different, like, once their contract is, expires, instead of renewing, they'll be like, I have this big audience who I can monetize in other ways much more successfully or something. Right, right. Yeah, it's interesting. I just, it, I don't know if it, it's something that can really survive, but... Um, yeah, I hope not, because I think it would just be a lot worse. Yeah, I, I, and I don't think you're the only one with that fear. But I don't know. I guess the what what it could help is like those podcasts that are not quite big enough to garner the attention of major advertise advertisers, but have a, a user base that could be mobilized for advertising to. Yeah, I remember the other thing Spotify bought. It's Anchor, the people who host our podcast. Oh, um, so they don't own our podcast in any way, but right. we are hosted through Anchor. So. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and Anchor has been like trying to get us to like do weird ads and stuff in our podcast, which we aren't going to do. Yeah. Uh, we should talk about moving our podcast somewhere else, by the way. I've been meaning to mention that. Oh, okay. <laughs> I don't know. We'll see. Um, <laughs> are, are there other are there good options, though? Uh, nothing free, but um, nothing too terribly expensive, at least. Okay. <laughs> we'll, have to, we'll have to start uh, making some revenue here. Yeah. <laughs> who wants to give us money <laughs> <laughs> that's that's our advertising section <laughs> of the podcast just, yeah. <laughs> who wants to give us money <laughs> just send us money <laughs> easy this is how is this it, it, man this podcast do you think i can do this for a living you just say some things and randomly in the middle of the podcast you just like send me some money <laughs> Just no pitch or anything. I don't even. I'm not even gonna set up a Patreon. Just you know, just give me money. <laughs> just find me in person and slip a five dollar bill into my hand. <laughs> well, we'll see how that that strategy works for us. Um, <laughs> so we got a question from a listener, um, Josh, who asked, "Is it?" I, this is a paraphrase. Uh, he he said something along the lines of, "Is it unfair for cubes to be at like different angles relative to the solver when they're put in front of them in a, in a competition?" So, like you you put the cube in the cover, or whatever you know, bring it over to the competitor, put it down. You don't really care about how it's facing. You just put it down in front of them, and then you lift it off. The question is, is that unfair? Because some people could like pick it up during inspection. And like I don't know, see like an easy cross or something that someone else would miss if they saw something else that was also an easy cross but not quite as easy of a cross on a different color or something. I would I would think that that might have a be a better argument if the average inspection time that people took was actually close to fifteen seconds. Yeah, I was gonna say that. <laughs> um, like I don't know, like if you're really concerned about optimizing like your start, you given how much time people actually spend on inspection. <laughs> Um, I feel like you could actually just spend more time tr- looking at the cube at the very start. So that is a, yeah, I, I just kind of feel like inspection in general nullifies this issue. If we didn't have inspection, this would be kind of a big deal that you'd really want to be consistent for everyone. I agree. And that's why they 
at least consider rotations in blind. Maybe they should put it down the same way for everyone in blind. Like that's a something I could I could I think there could be more of an argument for that uh, since you just start the solve right away. Make sure it gets put down the same way for every competitor. Yeah, I think that the argument was that um like there's generally a consistent manner in which how cubes are brought from the scrambling table to the tape like the scrambling table to the competitor tables mm-hmm. in that like you tend to drop the cube in the orientation you're holding it in in the end yeah and the runner will tend to flip it in a certain way i feel like um like when orientations were being discussed that it was not something that needed to be enforced and like you needed to get it in this orientation when you start um, just because I think that poses too big of a logistical issue and an issue of when you bring it to a station, you have to like take the cover off for a second and peek and make sure it's the right orientation. And how are you going to communicate what is the right orientation to someone? And I don't, like, do we mark one of the center, like two of the centers then? <laughs> I don't know. That <laughs> seems pretty invasive to do to people's cubes. Um, yeah. So I, I think that's it. I think it probably is a logistical problem that just we kind of just have to deal with it yeah Um, and i I think that basically like what what is being encouraged is just to be consistent about if if you're a scrambler or a runner mm -hmm. just generally be consistent about how you go about bringing out puzzles and yes there will be discrepancies um but as long as people are generally consistent and are not like trying to manipulate how the cubes are being put into covers or things of that nature then I don't see it being a major issue. Part of the reason I bring this up is because I wanted to dovetail into a related topic, which is that um, the question of whether inspection should really even be a thing. Because Mm. people have made the argument that the inspection of the cube is part of the solve. Like, it's part of planning what you're doing, and people who can plan more efficiently and quickly should be rewarded for that. I think I would respond that cubing would be a lot more boring without it. How so? Um, Rue would not be a viable method. You mean just because, like, you you would want something that you can just kind of have something to start on right away, like with CFOP, just build your cross? Yeah, Um, I mean, I just see anything that involves block building as a first step just being intensely more complicated to do no inspection. Yeah, I mean, ZZ would definitely be. Oh, yeah, ZZ would be gone. (laughs) Like, even if you're fast, it takes, like, a second and a half to do your, uh do like a really fast eo inspection right right so and you can't do any moves during that so yeah and zz is already like having a hard time keeping up with cfop yeah with inspection <laughs> yeah so I, I i i don't know about the rue thing though i feel like rue block building isn't that different from cross block building maybe it's not and maybe i'm just less experienced with it but um i still think it's it it's at least marginally harder to me, too, even if you're a CFOP solver, I would imagine just that, um, like, at the start of solves, like, it, now you have, like, a giant, you start a solve currently with a, you know, a very long to-do list of, I need to do all of these things. Mm-hmm. If you start with nothing, I feel like you can never build up anything and look ahead becomes seriously less valuable. Yeah, I, I think that... Um... It is like the sort of the way that a three by three solve goes now is that you kind of build a buffer at the start of like things you have knowledge of. Mm -hmm. And then as you go, you keep buffering further ahead into the solve with your look aheads that theoretically your entire solve can be pauseless. 
right. which I think is really interesting to watch. And also having that buffer to think ahead allows you to come up with more clever ways to do things as you're like, oh, I see this and this. Let's mm-hmm. combine those. Yes. Whereas if you just have to, if you have to see something and respond immediately, it's uh, it gets rid of that ability to combine things. That's why I think it makes cube solving less interesting. It's just that yeah. it turns more into... I mean, maybe it would make it even more interesting because you have to be able to look ahead quickly, like even quicker than you do now. I think it would make the solves themselves less interesting. Like you'd see fewer advanced techniques really being used. Right. And I think that, um, I think to me that it's the, that it's like when you have a slow internet connection, having inspections, like watching a video on a slow internet connection where you pause it and wait 15 seconds for it to buffer Mm-hmm. and then no inspection solves would be like trying to watch the video right away yeah <laughs> that's a good analogy like i just i don't think it would be obviously i don't think it's that jarring but i still don't think that the solves would be as interesting to watch or to enjoy and i i, I just i think generally it would make cubing less enjoyable I, I feel like it's kind of natural to have inspection as well like people tend to think that like, when do you start timing someone? It's when they do the first turn. Uh, I think that's what most of the time people would assume. Sometimes people will just hand you a cube and, like, start a timer, but... <laughs> right. I don't know. The thing is, more often when I see, like, you know, people go on, like, TV to solve cubes or whatever, and they, they want, they, like, do a timer or whatever, mm-hmm. like, I, and it doesn't seem like this is pre-planned or, like, the cuber tell, like, the cuber that's on TV tells them to do this, um, but it seems like, you know, they hand them a cube and then... It's like, wait, wait, we need to get a timer ready. Don't start yet. And the yeah. cube is like in their hands. Like, well, I'm going to look at it. <laughs> and most, I mean, sure. Sometimes on they'll say like, oh, don't look at it. Or, you know, hand them a cube and just go. Yeah. Um, but I think more often than not, when I see like people doing demonstrations with cubes, it's like they'll have a bunch of people scramble it up and then they hand it back. And then someone gets ready with a timer. Mm-hmm. And that gives them plenty of time to to plan out their first few you know turns and pairs or whatever. Chris Bird did release a video, Monkey Dude thirteen thirteen. Oh my! Um, Five awesome cubers. Heck yeah! Rerun. Uh, <laughs> um, he came back to YouTube recently. Yeah, I noticed um, that. And he posted a thing where he said that like one of the things he had to get used to with solving was having inspection. Uh, because he said that people would expect him to solve the cube right away. And when I heard him say that, I was like, that didn't seem to match my experience at all. Um, I Yeah, I agree. But maybe maybe for some people. I don't know. Maybe there's just something about him. <laughs> uh, <laughs> can, can we bring back Lance the Blue Knight next? Yeah, let's do it. Let's do them all. <laughs> <laughs> want to find these people. Uh, we, yeah. I mean, we need to have like a rerun of five awesome cubers. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe, maybe, maybe we can pass on me, myself, and Pi, but... <laughs> yes. Uh, seconded. Um, <laughs> Four awesome cubers. <laughs> All right. Um, but yeah, so I, I, I think that we are in agreement overall. We like we like that inspection is a thing. Yeah, I um, just think it makes the... It makes method development more interesting. Mm-hmm. I think it makes the solves in general more fluid and more interesting to watch. I think it promotes look ahead better. I don't know. I, in general, I just, it, it, even though like it definitely seems to make less sense and, you know, tons of non-cubers when they see videos are like, why do they, he, does he get to look at it for so long and mm-hmm. things like that? Um, 
I don't know. I still think it's not a decision that outsiders should be making necessarily, but one that yeah. should be, you know, whatever Cubers think makes the, you know, the sport or the activity, whatever you want to call it, more interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, this happens in speedrunning all the time, too, where, you know, define what a glitchless speedrun is. Mm-hmm. And, you know, often the line between what is a glitch and what is not is not about, like, any criteria about it actually being a glitch. At least for these things that are borderline cases. Yeah, like, they might use, like, some kind of, like, slight clipping to do something a little bit faster, but not really right. consider that a glitch. Right, well, and what uh, what often, like, helps them draw the line between what is and isn't considered a glitch is, does it make the run better? Mm-hmm. Like, the speedrunners ha- do this all the time, where, like, um, for example, I'm going to talk about Pokemon speedruns again. This is all like right, the, let's do it. It's a speedrunning <laughs> episode again. Um, so in Pokemon Red and Blue, have you ever played the originals? I've played Fire Red. Okay, so... Not actual Red. <laughs> okay, um, well, you wouldn't notice this glitch, but you know where you get the bike in Cerulean City. Mm-hmm. So in the original game, and I, I can't remember if they did this in the remake too, but when you try to buy the bike without having a voucher for it, it says it's like available for like a million yen or whatever. Yeah, uh-huh. Rubles. Rubles. <laughs> uh, and um, the thing is, in the original game, when that happened, like the menu that would show the bicycle would appear instantly. But you know, okay. most text in Pokemon scrolls and like prints letter, letter by letter very quickly. But that text appears instantly. The the bicycle one million in it it just appears. Did so? Is there? Do they use a glitch that like makes all the other text do that? Yes, it's very simple too. You just press B, and now every, <laughs> like you literally exit the menu, and nice. every, and <laughs> basically the programmers forgot to unflag instant text when they did <laughs> so basically like people were doing people discovered this like a couple years ago, and all of a sudden people were doing these runs, um, where you know. Well, yeah, they would, like, it, they the routes just started to, like, if you were near the bike shop before, I mean, obviously, once you get the bicycle, then you can't do it anymore because it won't have the option to, pay, like, pay for the bicycle, mm-hmm. an exorbitant sum of money. But um, when you don't have the bicycle, like, now, a lot of this early game routing just goes through the bike shop so you can get the instant text back. Because there's a few actions, like, um, I think using an item or... Uh, going to a Pokemon Center, I can't, I can't remember, but there's a handful of actions that do set this flag back, mm-hmm. um, and you can't avoid some of them. So people would just route where they'd start going back to the bike shop to like regain instant text, um, <laughs> and a lot of people argued that it was a glitch and that it wasn't making the runs better. And somebody got a world record with that instant text glitch, and then it was basically taken away because they retroactively banned that from the run um but then later they retroactively re-added it to the run. yeah i feel like that does make it better because it's just more fun to watch when you don't have to wait for text right and i know some people were making the argument that it just like arbitrarily like changes the route in a not in in a way where you're clearly going out of the way to perform a glitch i don't know it was a really stupid discussion and pokemon red and blue by far has the weirdest 
weirdest set of what is a glitch and what is not a glitch by far <laughs> uh just because there's so many glitches in the original red and blue that you just how like how do you draw the line like another one for example is the polka doll glitch where you can skip the entire rocket basement in cerulean by just instead of getting the sylph scope to deal with the marowak you just give it a polka doll and it runs away i know what some of those words meant <laughs> oh, okay well basically you <laughs> skip like a 20 minute section of the game mm. by using an item that um probably was not intended to do that okay <laughs> like you're supposed to do this 20 minute section of the game to get an item which will allow you to get past a barrier in the game mm. mm-hmm. but an, another item that you can buy in a mart will get past <laughs> this this barrier too oh nice and they don't consider that a glitch even though it doesn't really seem it's what the programmers intended for you to be able to do. Mm-hmm. But they say it makes the run better because you don't have to do 20 minutes of tedious grinding. I don't know. <laughs> Nothing makes sense about that. Um, but um, going back to cubing, I think that in general, whether whether or not inspection makes sense to an outsider shouldn't be relevant. It should be about what makes the the art of cubing better. Mm-hmm. And I think inspection makes the art of cubing better. I agree. Uh, another thing on this same topic, uh, or similar, what mm-hmm. about plus twos while we're talking about things that are kind of like arbitrary having to do with cubing? <laughs> um, I have an unpopular opinion about this. <laughs> What's your unpopular opinion? No misalignment plus twos. So, wait, does that mean that if it's a misaligned layer, it's a DNF? Yep. Is it, Do you still follow the 45-degree rule? Yep. Hmm. But beyond 45, you haven't solved it. I disagree. And many people do. I, I'm well aware. I think that the bar should be if a normal person can pick up the cube and solve it without knowledge of how oh to solve a cube. Oh my god. It should be considered solved. <laughs> Remind me to never make you a delegate. <laughs> <laughs> it, sh- it should be... But you get you, you get plus two per turn that what they would like? use to solve it. You grab so a parent and just like, hey, can you solve yeah. it? Yeah, and so if they do like extra turns and then they're like, oh no, not that. You have to count all of those. Um, <laughs> this is the so, stupidest idea ever. I think it makes sense uh, like you you show it to someone and if they're reasonably like that's not scrambled then what is it oh it's solved obviously <laughs> right <laughs> like okay you show someone a cube with a single turn done and ask them if it's scrambled i don't think most people would say that it's scrambled which only leaves one option <laughs> I, I don't think that this is a uh, dichotomous situation here. <laughs> Are you saying that a cube has like three states? Or can it be in like a superposition of solved cube, and unsolved? A cube has 4.3 times 10 to the 19th states, in fact. Well, how many <laughs> solved states does it have? Has one. Right. So if it's not in the solved state, is it scrambled? How many... Scr- how? Hmm. So how uh, many how many solved states are there, Andrew? How many of the four point three times ten to the nineteenth <laughs> states are solved? Okay, wait. I have another question. 
How many of them are scrambled? Uh, well, according to the WCA regulations, anything that's two or more moves. According to normal people. <laughs> normal people do not write the regulations. I thought, did we not just have a conversation about how we agreed <laughs> that, like, normal people's views should not impact that's, what makes cubing, like, what it is? That's true. But... <laughs> still think it would be fun to give the cube to parents to see if they can solve it <laughs> um you've had better ideas <laughs> <laughs> i'm gonna try this at my next competition i mean it's a fun mystery event where you can like try like you know oh get non-cubers and just like do one move and be like all right you have one move to solve this and then take it no, back and do two no, moves no. The, the it's a good like unofficial tourney event you have to sign up with a non-cuber mm -hmm. and you are allowed to stop the timer once you get to the cube to a state that you think they can solve <laughs> and then they have to try it <laughs> and then it, that the, their part of the solve is untimed it's just if they yeah. can do it yeah it's just whether or not they can do it <laughs> i like that <laughs> They have to be a verified non-Huber, though. <laughs> and they do they just get randomly assigned to the competitors then? Yeah, okay, that's it. So everyone brings a non-Huber, but they get randomly assigned. So, like, you don't, you can't cheat and bring someone who actually knows how to cube because somebody right. else could get them. Yeah, and, and then, of course like, there has to be prize money involved so that they don't just, like, support the person they came with, you know? They have to, they want it for themselves. Right, yeah. But then, if but then, like, wouldn't the non-cubers be eligible for that prize money? Yes. So wouldn't it be very like? Couldn't you just be like, I'm gonna bring in a actual cuber as a non-cuber, and now they're gonna win, and we can split the prize money? Oh, that's a good point. Uh, <laughs> you have to like literally go out on the street, and like just find a passerby who is <laughs> selected by committee. Everyone at the competition has to vote. On who to approach, um, or is it, or is it just like the same person for everyone? That would also be good. But then you can kind of like learn how good they are and tailor. Yeah, what if they get better? <laughs> <laughs> what if they improve over <laughs> they time? They invent their own method. <laughs> or do, yeah, it like start to like the first time they get like a three something that's three moves away, they just royally screw it up. Yeah, <laughs> and then like they realize they were an idiot, and the next time they get something that's three moves away, it's like easy. <laughs> they screw yeah. over the first person that goes. <laughs> Seems reasonable. Okay, wait, but but if you have the lowest time, you have to give it to them first. Mm. That could be interesting. So that way, if you are at a disadvantage, you're the one taking the risk by giving them the hard cube to solve. That makes sense. <laughs> so yeah basically you get like how like as many people as you have stations or something and then whoever has the lowest time they do that one first although that would be very undramatic to a, a, like if you're trying to make this a fun event to watch hmm. it would make it very undramatic because if they solve the first one then they win yeah yeah that's right <laughs> like it'd be most dramatic to have them do the person with the worst time first <laughs> yeah but it would basically give an advantage to the people who already have an advantage by solving it faster yeah i think i think i like the idea i think like obviously people could rig it 
but mm-hmm. I think the idea of bringing your own non-cuber and then having to switch with someone else probably will work the best. Yeah. And and you probably just don't tell anyone the rules for it. <laughs> okay, yeah. Just show up with a non-cuber is all you say. Yeah. Hmm. I like this. And now everyone <laughs> knows the rules because we talked about it in a podcast. That's true. <laughs> but then we'll switch it up on them. <laughs> <laughs> What were we talking about? Oh yeah, uh, you don't like plus twos. Why? Um, it's just the penalty is so so different depending on the event, to the point where like a plus two might as well be a DNF in two by two, to mm-hmm. nearly irrelevant in seven by seven to potentially a positive thing in feet if you're that slow. <laughs> yep. Um, and we already have so, events like clock where there is no misalignment penalty, mm-hmm. and I like and, and it's well, also we get a ton of DNFs in clock. Yeah, but I also think like clock, <laughs> just because of how precise the turning is already on the puzzle, is already prone to DNFing. Mm-hmm. I I I just feel like it's a little bit too harsh to. I agree. I agree. It's too harsh. But I also just don't like the rule. It's super arbitrary and has just wildly different effects depending on the event. Like, Maybe it should be like plus 2% or something. No, 2% is nothing. Or prob- probably more than that. Yeah. <laughs> um, but maybe it could be a percentage thing. Maybe. Yeah, plus and that's been proposed. Nothing. It's just then that's like, I mean, like things like cube comps, you could, I guess, have it build in that. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I also don't like that we have like literally eight plus different ways to get a plus two. Yeah. <laughs> um. Like, I honestly, I don't know. <laughs> Part of me like thinks that we just need to relax some of our timer start and stop regulations. Hmm. But it's a slippery slope there. It would also drastically change how our events are done. So. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's just so hard to manage all of those. Yeah. Like, even good judges can't will miss some of those. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Um, I know I, my, my opinion is unpopular, and I don't necessarily, like, wholeheartedly believe in it, but I do think that no plus two for misalignments is better than the current system. Hmm. I don't think it's ideal, but... Okay. I... I also, like, for example, like, in multi-blind, like, Graham got plus two'd on his world record because one of the cubes fell. Like, on the ground? No, like, it, like it, it was, they were stacked up in a corner, and one oh. of them fell when he, like, put another solved one on the pile. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and it fell plus two. Hmm. And it's like, okay, really? <laughs> were there any non-cubers at the competition? I don't know. We, we could really use their help. Um <laughs> So, I mean, there is an argument that, yes, it is harsh. You could also argue that, like, if you're doing multi, place your cubes more carefully. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> but. Attention. All non-cubers. Graham Siggins is in trouble, and he needs your help so that he can <laughs> solve his last cube and get that WR. On to your help keypads. Him. All he's going to need. <laughs> what? It sounded like you were like doing an ask the audience on like who wants to be a millionaire. <laughs> oh no, I was I was it was a meme. To help him, all he needs is your credit card number. The three oh. numbers on the back and the expiration date. 
Easy. I could do that. <laughs> Have you seen that meme? Yeah. Yeah. It just you you had a very Regis Philbin voice and I was <laughs> in like a, um like it sounded like you, like they just asked for the audience. You're like, "All right, Graham needs your help." <laughs> <laughs> On your keypads, vote A, B, or A, B, C, or D now. So I went to a nearly week-long conference with uh, stat educators. Uh Uh-huh. And uh, I won't bore you with the details of the actual conference, but um, there's one, I suppose, colleague. It's weird to say that because I'm, like, still a grad student. They're a professor, but I guess I can still say colleague. Mm -hmm. But, um... (laughs) um so this colleague from minnesota he uh he's on my advisor's advisory board for her grant Mm -hmm. (laughs) which is a advisor's advisory um yeah (laughs) um trying to follow (laughs) yeah basically my advisor has a grant and the grant has people that give advice to that grant (laughs) all right um so he's been to Portland already a few times and he's seen like my Rubik's cube skills. <laughs> we generally get dinner or lunch several times during these like advisory board meetings. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it usually comes up at some point. Uh, basically I was with him at this conference and literally whenever we were in like a social situation, like eating dinner with a group of people, um, I was with him a lot cause we were doing presentations three of the four main days of the conference together mm-hmm um so we spent we were spending a lot of time together already and basically whenever we were getting lunch with a another group of people or whatever um basically i was not even trying like a lot of times i feel like when you want to like you know flex that you can cube like you have to bring it up in front of people Mm -hmm. and be like yeah you know i can do this thing and like it's pretty (laughs) cool legitimately i i just started carrying a cube around everywhere because i knew he was gonna ask if i could do it in front of other people that's funny yeah it's just like this is so weird like usually people are like oh yeah that's cool and like after 30 seconds people lose interest and like nobody wants to talk about it again (laughs) um but, like, they were having me do, like, blindfolded solves in front of them the whole time. And it's like, nice. oh, man. Like, this is, uh, was... it's a lot. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it was cool, I guess. Um, you know, everyone wants to be that cubing guy. Uh, not really. But, um, <laughs> I don't know. It was kind of interesting. I, I, I just feel like that situation was really unique. Like, I, have you ever been in, a, like, situations where you have, like, just people that want to see you cube all the time. <laughs> uh, not really. Yeah, like, I thought that was so strange. I've had a couple times recently my brother has wanted me to solve a cube for some people, but it's not like he wants to see it. <laughs> right. He's <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, you guys should check this out. Yeah. But no, like, he is, he is, he's, like, told me, like, it's, he's, like, it is, it, it, he always tells me that like when he sees me do a, a blindfolded solve that it's equally as interesting as the last time he's seen it even if it was a few hours ago wow and i'm like that is weird yeah <laughs> i don't know like i would be very surprised to hear if other people had similar experiences to that because that was weird yeah i've never heard of that <laughs> it was cool i guess i mean i got to flex in front of you know people i'm trying to network with so 
it's always good. I don't know, maybe, like, maybe, maybe in reality he's just looking out for me and, like, trying to get me, like, known in this community. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, because, I mean, maybe that's all he's trying to do, and he's just, like, trying to pass it off as, like, oh, no, man, I'm just super interested in what you do, but, like, he's, like, secretly, like, the hero trying to look out for my best interests or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> this isn't completely related, but recently, um... My friend Jan from high school, mm-hmm. uh, we, we're both back in San Diego for the summer now, and I haven't like talked to him very much in a while, and I taught him how to solve a Rubik's Cube in high school, but he never really got that into it, and just all of a sudden, he just he's just like, hey, I got an, a new cube because my old one broke, uh, and then he's like, I got that new, uh, what's it, like the Moyu one, like, and I was like, the Waylong something, and he's like, yeah, that's it, like the, the new one, so he got a Waylong GTS 3M, mm-hmm. uh, and then he's like, so then I'm like, oh, yeah. Uh, and I was like, and I just like showed him mine. I was like, like this, like with the ridges. And he's like, yeah, yeah. And he's like, oh, and also I use Rue now. And I was like, whoa, <laughs> what? <laughs> well, that escalated quickly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> that's my, my uh, like other person cubing story. <laughs> It'd be like Lauren coming home and being like, because like we both love dogs and she's like, Mm -hmm. look, I bought this picture of like this book that has a bunch of pictures of really cute dogs. Oh, and by the way, I have a dog. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It was just so funny the way he brought it up. It was like, yeah, I got a new cube because my old one broke just to have it, you know? Oh, and also I use Rue now and I've been getting really into it. Well, that's cool. Yeah. Is he planning on competing anytime soon? I don't know. I'll have to talk to him about that. Yeah. I mean, I can't imagine he's far off if he's learning Rue. Yeah. Unless he's, like, really, like, just interested in learning weird methods. I think that was probably part of it, at yeah. least. Um, I mean, there are those, like, method people out there that, yeah. like, I don't know, have opinions on that, but... Are you talking about me? No, 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 no. Just okay. like no, like because I, I, I've been known to do that kind of stuff in the past. I feel <laughs> like no, there's just a lot of people who are more interested in just learning methods poorly than learning <laughs> methods like a few or one method fairly well. Yeah, it's like I know how to do like belt method and yeah triangular francisco and And it's like unless you're tau you i don't think you should be doing that (laughs) (laughs) yeah unless you can really be good with all of them and like have that be your party trick (laughs) right yeah i don't know it just seems like there's like a lot of people out there that are like it's like the equivalent of like going to college and only taking 100 level classes (laughs) it's like i just want to like get exposed to a lot of things and not be good at anything (laughs) uh and that doesn't really work out in real life and it shouldn't really work out in cubing either and it doesn't i'm method neutral i just look pick up the cube and inspection decide which of the 10 methods i know i'm going to use it's objectively optimal if i'm like alexander lao level at rue and max park level at cfop (laughs) like yeah that's awesome (laughs) but like (laughs) i don't really see the point otherwise unless you're near that skill level in both i also like how i'm old and i use alex lau as my yeah solver and not yeah (laughs) 
I still remember when Alex Lau probably should have been able to set the world record a few times, but his parents wouldn't let him go to competitions. That's a sad story of cubing. Yeah. Yeah, because, like, those 2013 years, especially, like, around 2013, he should have had several world records in 3x3. It's like, he he lives in a place where it literally takes no effort to go to competitions, too. Yep. Uh, (laughs) And and just think about how much that would have, like, changed, like, the method landscape these days. Oh, I know. I know. Man. As much as we need more people exploring poorly tons of methods, but... um, (laughs) It de- I mean, yeah, it would have been really interesting to see where Rue would be right now if Alex Lau got a few world records. So, Kit. That's me. Martin Agdol. That's not me. That's not you. Uh, there was a, a competition which finished yesterday. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, did I say finished? I meant Swedish. Um, <laughs> uh, it was the Swedish Championship uh, 2019. Boo. And <laughs> at this competition... Um, they had a lot of rounds of a lot of events. Okay. And Martin Egdal at that competition became the leader in the world for most solves completed in one competition. Oh, that's a big deal. With 212 solves completed out of 217 attempted. Oh, that's disgusting. <laughs> it's a lot of solves. Like, okay, I went to a competition in Colorado over Memorial Day weekend. Mm-hmm. And I thought I did a lot of solves in one weekend. <laughs> like, I think it was in the 130 to 140 range. Mm-hmm. And that felt like way too many solves for me. <laughs> um, I just made second and third rounds of so many things at that competition. Cause... Yeah, let, let me go through this for you. Okay. 3x3 three three had four rounds. 2x2 two two had four rounds. 4x4 four four and 5x5 five five had three rounds. Uh, 6 and 7 both had one round. 3 blind had three rounds. Fewest moves, one round. One-handed, three-by-three with feet, clock, mega, pyraminx, scube, and square one all had three rounds. Oh, scube, sorry, scube and pyra both had four rounds. Uh, And then four four blind, five blind, and multi-blind had one round. I thought you were going to say two rounds for a second. No. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Yeah, so that's a lot of solves, and he basically did all of them. Um, (laughs) If you actually, if you look at the... The like World Cube Association unofficial stats thing for their most solves in one competition year or lifetime section. Mm-hmm. All but two of the ones listed on the page are from Swedish Championship, twenty nineteen. Oh wow! Yeah. Yeah. Holy. <laughs> so <laughs> broke that record. <laughs> yep. <laughs> was this a three day or four day comp? Or it was something? a three day competition. Okay. Um, and yeah, they did a lot of solving. <laughs> Sure did. Wow. And Martin Egdal did the most solving. Because he made the final for everything, probably. Or almost yeah. everything. Like, I'm curious how this competition stacks up in terms of, like, number of solves per competitor. Mm-hmm. Just in terms of, like... Because, I mean, that's, like, a measure of, you know, how much you crammed into that weekend. Yeah. To some extent. I mean, it might not have that high of solves per competitor because it's really only the people who made finals who got a lot of solves. Yeah, I guess, yeah, it depends on how many people advanced, I suppose. But, I mean, it was a 180-some-person comp, and, you know, 3x3 three three was top 120. 2x2 two two was top 75% mm-hmm. to the second yeah, round. Yeah, wow. Ooh, wow. Pira and Skew were also both top 75%. And, I mean, for 3x3, three three, that top 120 is, like, top 60%. So Yeah, oh, and it's actually a four-day competition. My bad. I okay. I can't, can't count days. That's <laughs> That makes a little more sense. 
Yeah. Man. I mean, I just, in because I did my 130 something, 130 or 140 something solves in the span of two days. Mm-hmm. And that was exhausting. Like, yeah. <laughs> I felt like I was, like, literally competing in everything. Like, I would finish something, and I was getting called up to do something else. Mm. <laughs> um, like, I just was dying that weekend. <laughs> but yeah, so I actually found an interesting thing about him today. Uh, your turn. <laughs> okay, reg of the day time. This reg slash guideline... Uh, is A1, A2, plus, plus, plus. So this guideline clarifies a uh, regulation from the speed solving section about um, the time limits in a competition. Mm-hmm. Um, and it talks, it's clarifying how cumulative time limits work. Okay. Oh, is this new? Um, no. So this, the regulations existed. The guideline is new. Okay. So, for example, consider this situation. You are... Um, doing three blind and there's a cumulative time limit of 20 minutes you do your first solve and it was a really slow dnf okay and you want to be able to get more time than what you would normally have so you reset it before the judge can write down what the dnf time was there's like all other than like being like disqualified for unfair sportsmanship like yeah in that moment there's like you know usually don't want to reset your timer because you lose a solve you have already yeah, have a but DNF. if you're DNFing anyway. Right. Which is a weird situation, and, uh, like, you know, what do you do in that instance? <laughs> so they added this guideline, which helps to clarify in situations like these, where, you know, competitors reset the time on what was a DNF time. Mm-hmm. And it's, if a result from an attempt is unavailable, for example, the timer was reset, the judge should consult the WCA delegate and make an estimate of the elapsed time for the event. Or the attempt. Okay. The estimate counts toward the time limit, but not must not be used as the basis of an official result <laughs> for the individual attempt. I think that was about two minutes. Let's write that down as your result. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, it just basically helps when, you know, you have a good, like, the judge probably knows at least how many minutes the solve was. Mm-hmm. They, and then you just like round up or so. Right, yeah. So you can at least get a rough estimate of how much time was elapsed. That makes sense. I thought it was going to be a little more harsh and be like add just 10 minutes or something. <laughs> yeah. It's a stack well, padded event. The thing is you look at it on the surface and you're like, man, this is, you know, given how sometimes draconian the regulations can be, this is super lenient. Yeah. <laughs> um, But it almost has to be. Because, you know, like, you know, when people like reset their time before the judge can write it down, like, you know, Mm -hmm. that's kind of their own fault. (laughs) Yeah. Like, don't reset the timer before you write it down. And it's like most of the time this won't this reg won't affect people who are intentionally trying to get less time, like have less time recorded. Most of the time it'll just be like there's an accident and the timer was reset or something. Right, right. Or just like the competitor is like, oh, well, it's a DNF anyways, and they don't understand how cumulative time limits work. Yeah which is a pretty common scenario and especially in blindfolded where you can't really talk loudly about how they work mm-hmm. uh it can be difficult sometimes so i mean it's like it's one of those things that on the surface like seems super lenient but at the same time is like not much of it. it's kind of the best solution you can come up with given that plus 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 <laughs>